You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning and thank you for being with us on this holiday weekend. We have um, Pastor Marty preaching this morning, continuing on in the series of Romans. And he'll be preaching from the passage Romans 6, verses 1 through 14, which um, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can find on the back of the sermon notes or in the chairback Bibles on page 651 if you'd like to follow along. Romans 6, 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Father God, we thank you for this passage that tells us the truth about sin, and also the truth about who our true master is. We thank you for grace, for the cross where we can bring our sins, thanks to Jesus. We thank you for, to Jesus for our escape from sin, and condemnation. We thank you for Pastor Marty and the study that he's given to this passage, and we pray now that we would open our ears and our hearts to hear its truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Craig. Well, good morning, everybody. I am Marty Birch, discipleship pastor here at uh, Mill Creek, and I've had the privilege of serving here for over 24 years. So now it seems like it's a good time for me to tell you about my past criminal behavior. (laughs) When I was a teen, a youth group attending in church, every church service, Christian school class leader teen, I seriously chose to rip off a local arcade. Now, it wasn't quite like a Quentin Tarantino movie but it still stays firmly detailed in my mind. Uh, In the late 70s, early 80s, that ancient period of history in my youth, the video arcade was the place to hang out with your friends. 
and I spent a lot of weekend time and a lot of my disposable income at a few local arcades with my friends. I'd drop a couple of fives in the token machine, get pockets full of tokens, spend hours zoning out on video games, playing pool, and playing foosball and air hockey. One day a friend let me know that he had a small burlap bag filled with metal slugs that he found hanging out at a local machine shop. I noticed that they looked nearly identical in size and thickness to one local arcade's tokens. And sure enough, although the slugs would not work in the video games, we found an older pool table that ate those things like candy. What a gift! Free play! Uh, we proceeded to play a couple of pool games, gleefully enjoying the prospect of the afternoon's fun that was coming to us absolutely free. We were getting away with something. We were getting something for nothing. Uh, it was really too good to be true. Until the pool table money drawer jammed about an hour into our playing. Noticing the trouble that we were having, the owner of the place came over, keychain in hand, with an apology. Sorry, guys, this old table, it jams sometimes. Let me fix that for you. Well, you can guess what happened next. He opened the cash drawer, saw it filled with slugs, grew really angry, and screamed at us, You are ripping me off! There were other words that I won't repeat in church. We ran out of the arcade, not sure if he was going to call the police or not, and frankly, I'm really fortunate that he didn't. Sometimes getting away with something just doesn't go as good as you thought it would. But honestly, don't we like getting away with a little something every now and then? Uh, maybe it's helping yourself to a few too many free samples at the grocery store. Uh, driving five miles over the speeding limit is okay because they don't ever really pull you over for that. Topping off the soda on your way out the door at Wendy's because I haven't seen any officially posted fast food rules on that, right? Those all feel like really harmless rule-breaking uh, things, don't they? However, I think we'd all agree that there are some kinds of rule-breaking that definitely cross the lines. Uh, this morning as we look at Romans 6, our text is going to point us to an attitude very similar to what was driving me when I thought it was okay to steal some pool games at the arcade. You see, our text this morning is about how Christians have to deal with the fact that sin is still around us uh, and, and even in us, and though Jesus has saved us from its penalty, sometimes you and I get the wrong attitude about sin. And for those cons still considering the Christian message, the problem of sin is really the central issue they need to see from God's point of view. Sadly, sometimes we Christians are tempted to be very casual about our sin. We don't expect for Christians to keep sinning, but more than we like to admit, we do. When sin leads us to a result we did not expect, what should we do? Fortunately, this morning we have some really good information, some recommendations on what to do when it doesn't go very well. More importantly, we get to help, we get help to, help to give us, keep us away from a light view of sin, and help, this helps us live in Christ as we should. So from our text, we're going to look at both a question 
and a response. So here's the quick roadmap this morning. First, the question, does grace mean that I can sin all that I want? Does grace mean that I can sin all that I want? And then secondly, our response, we are united with Jesus and living for God. Now let's look at the question in verses 1 through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So let's look at our first point here and look at the question. Does grace mean I can sin all I want? Now, Paul is doing something at this point in Romans where he is dealing with the objections that might arise as he preaches the gospel. And so far in the book of Romans, Paul has made this clear presentation. One, we bring nothing to the table to save ourselves. Secondly, we're all sinners deserving God's righteous judgment. Thirdly, Jesus has taken all that judgment so that finally we might be declared righteous only, only by Jesus' work. But the Jewish legalists in Rome were struggling. And as they heard Paul talk about all this grace that Jesus was giving, that we don't do anything to save ourselves, they kind of thought, look, Paul, if that's the case... Christians should just keep sinning so God can keep forgiving. That's sort of what this question implies. Does, that, does grace mean that I sin all I want? You see, these critics had grown up under Judaism. They were used to a works-based, I must do this and I'll be good enough framework of salvation. And they're basically accusing Paul of letting us off easy. It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card for Christians. They were saying, in essence, well, Paul, if God is as gracious as you say he is, he must be very gracious, so we might as well just sin as much as we want. Uh, We can just do what we want. We can sin like we want. God will be gracious and forgiving. More recent critics of the gospel have put it this way. God likes to forgive, I like to sin. Man, that sounds like a perfect arrangement if you ask me. What Paul does is quickly, in verses 1 through 4, give a quick answer to the charge. And his first initial statement is very strong. He says, may it never be, which is very hard for us to capture in an English translation. The phrase is repeated several times in Romans every time Paul is dealing with an outlandish charge against the gospel. And here's what it means. It is sort of a mix of absolutely not with a twist and a tone of, you have got to be kidding me. He's trying to show us that it's a ridiculous question. Paul strongly rejects the notion that the gospel gives us a license to sin. And the reason the charge is outlandish is because actually the gospel produces the exact 
opposite in us. Saving grace means we no longer live to sin. Now, let's unpack in verses 1 through 4 what is Paul saying in his quick answer to the question. First, he's saying this. By God's grace, I have died to sin in Christ. I have died to sin in Christ. Say that with me. I have died to sin in Christ. There is a death to the old life of being controlled by sin. Jesus does not hand you a license to sin when you trust him as Savior. Instead, Jesus hands you the death certificate to your old sinful life when you trust him as Savior. That life is dead to you. It is like that sin died with him on the cross. Do you ever get in the habit of talking to your sin? I know that sounds a little crazy. But I think, I think the Bible gives us justification to consider that we should. I mean, why not? All throughout the epistles, Paul personifies sin. He calls sin the old self. He calls sin the sinful self. He calls sin, my favorite, the old man. So next time sin starts tempting, what's wrong with saying, old man, you're dead to me. That is what Paul is asking the, us to consider. Because that is what Jesus did when he died for our sin. He died to take death and eternal separation from God away as our punishment. And in Jesus, we have died to sin. But not only have I died to sin, according to Paul in verses 1 to 4, but I am baptized into Christ's death. I'm baptized into Christ's death. Why don't you say that with me? I am baptized into Christ's death. You see, that old life of sin that I used to have has died and has been buried with Jesus. Baptism pictures this, and we'll talk about more of, of, of that in a moment. But when I trusted Christ, I was immersed into his death and burial. It is as if my sinful self died with him, was buried in that tomb with him. So I'm dead to sin. I'm baptized into the death of Jesus. But then there's a third quick answer to this question that Paul gives. He says that I am raised with Jesus to new life. I'm raised with Jesus to new life. Why don't you say that with me as well? I am raised with to new life. You see, I don't let zombie sin rise from the dead. I'm raised to a new life in Christ. I walk in obedience to his lordship and leadership. Sin is a part of my old life, not the mark of a new life in Jesus. So these three together, I have died to sin in Christ, I am baptized into Christ's death, I am raised with Jesus to new life. Those things are a regular reminder that we might want to say daily. So in summary, this quick answer that Paul gives to the question, does grace mean I can sin all I want? Paul points us to the gospel, to the death to the burial and the resurrection of Jesus for the necessary perspective we need to understand the Christian's relationship with sin. This is what we should believe 
when we catch ourselves struggling in sin. Because sin is part of an old life and not part of the new life in Christ. We reject thinking that grace is easy and cheap. We reject thinking that we can sin and get away with it. Salvation came at the cross of Jesus, which was the price for our sins. Instead, we identify as dead to that sin through the cross, but now alive through Jesus' resurrection to a new and a better Life. Now that leads us to our first application. And that's this. Because of God's grace, I should believe I am dead to sin and now alive in Christ. Christian, will you keep doing that? Because it's who you are. Now, some of you might find yourself wondering this morning, is this really true for me? I am not sure that I just realized that application. If this seems like a radical, refreshing new idea for you today, would you dare to trust Jesus by confessing in prayer to him that you're a sinner, believe in his death and resurrection for you, and receive the new life that he alone offers you? Well, that's our application, but I think there's also an implication for us to consider. Because that second part of the answer that Paul give, gives about being baptized into Christ's death tells us that baptism is a serious moment. Baptism gives us a literal experience to help us understand a spiritual transformation, and both are very important. You realize the New Testament has absolutely no category for a believer who rejects baptism. In fact, in the New Testament, baptism was this immediate thing that occurred in the Christian community when they recognized belief and new believers followed with baptism. In fact, the phrase or the concept to believe and were baptized is significant to the early Christians. You see it six times in the, in the book of Acts to help us understand how the Christian church always, always has taken baptism seriously. It isn't just believed so that you can dismiss baptism, and it wasn't just baptized so that you dismiss belief. The early church and the New Testament teaching kept those two together, and so should we. If you are here today with questions about baptism, please, let's talk about it. If you've believed and you have yet to be baptized, I strongly ask you not to delay. Now, Paul has pointed us to Jesus in the gospel so we can look at sin correctly as he gives us this quick answer. But now he moves to help us see Jesus as we deal with unexpected sin. And it moves us to how we should respond to that question, does grace mean that I can sin all I want? Let's read verses 5 through 11. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
You see, our response boils down to this. We are united with Jesus and living for God. We are united with Jesus and living for God. Paul is asking us to consider some things as we process the fact that we need to see ourselves as dead to sin and alive in Jesus. It helps us to take sin seriously. And I think there's a couple questions we can ask ourselves to understand it. First in this text is the question, what do I believe about Jesus when I sin? What do I believe about Jesus when I sin? And in order for us to uh, deal with that, we need to understand the word united in verse 5. He says, you've been united with him in a death like his. Underline that word in your Bible if you'd like. Paul says, we were united with Jesus both in his death and in his resurrection. So that one of the things we ought to be telling ourselves, not only am I dead to sin, not only am I alive in Jesus, but I am united with Jesus. What does that mean? We were not literally physically present on that dark day when Jesus was crucified. I have read the gospel text. It's just one man who died on that cross between two thieves. It was Jesus' body that was nailed to a cross, laid in a tomb, and rose again the third day. How could we, 2,000 years later, be united with him? Well, let's just cut to the chase. What it means is that Jesus died in my place. Put yourself in a death row movie right now. You are the person walking that green mile to the electric chair, lined by fellow inmates who mock you with the phrase, dead man walking, trying not to think about the fact that death is also their fate one day as well. You enter the execution room. You hope for the call from the governor, but the phone hasn't rung. There's no stay of execution. You are guilty. You will die. The guard grabs you by the arm to take you to the chair. Just then, Jesus steps into the room, looks you in the eye, and says, I've got this. I'll take your place. That's exactly what happened on the cross. I stand before God, a guilty sinner. I should be punished eternally for my sin. I should die for the penalty of my sin. Instead, Jesus took my place. He stood up and he said, I've got this. I'll take the punishment. From God's viewpoint then, it is as if Jesus was me when he was nailed to that cross. I am united with him in his death. So that, what then should I believe about Jesus? When I slip up and I sin, I should believe that Jesus died for this sin because he took me with him to die with him to pay for that sin. You see, it changes your view of sin when you see it that way. C.H. Spurgeon said this, See every one of your sins as a sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, and you will begin to see sin as exceedingly sinful. This is what it means to be united with him in his death. But we also need to understand something else, according to Paul here, and it's the concept which he'll actually build on, and we'll look at next week, of slavery and freedom in verses 6 and 7. It helps us understand why being dead to sin is crucial to our understanding of dealing with sin and how being dead to sin is even possible. 
Because we are united with Christ, Paul says we are not slaves to sin anymore. You see, our natural state has us bound to sin. We can't help it. We are born sinners. We are slaves to sin, unable to free ourselves from its mastery. You see, there are two ways for a slave to be no longer a slave. One is to be legally set free by the master. I'm going to tell you, sin would not do that for you and I. The second way to be free from being a slave is to die. Because dead slaves don't get a whole lot of work done. You are no longer a slave when you are dead. And because our old self died with Christ, our old master sin no longer has us as a slave. That's what Paul is saying here. So why else? What else should I believe about Jesus if I sin? I should believe that he's made me no longer a slave to sin. Which leads us to another application this morning. Because I died and rose again with Jesus, I should live like sin is no longer my master. I should live like sin is no longer my master. Now, I realize this application sounds really easier than real life makes it. Because sin can be overwhelming with its control. I mean, let's get, let's get real. There are sins that feel to us like addictions, that feel like they can dominate us. But please, realize this. Through the gospel and belief in Jesus, even these dominating sins keep us coming to the cross. And the cross is where their hold is broken. Jesus can help us through his word, through his spirit, through his healing work, through his church as a gospel community where we can bring our broken selves before the cross together. All of these things help us no longer to be mastered by sin as we surrender to the lordship of our master and savior, Jesus Christ. You see, what we believe about Jesus when we sin matters We're united with him, knowing he died for our sin. We're under his lordship, so sin is no longer our master. We return to these realizations when we confess and forsake our sin. And remember what we believe about Jesus when we sin gets us away from sin's domination. And that leads us to another question. Not only what do I believe about Jesus when I sin, but what does God want me to do about my sin? The last section of our passage, verses 12 through 14. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness, for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace." With that last sentence of this section, Paul is letting us know he's building on the theme of slavery and mastery. His word now is dominion or rule. Sin will have no dominion over you. Sin is no longer our master. Sin is no longer our king. We don't have to let sin be the boss. We are given some ways to deal with sin ourselves. There's a positive command, a negative command, and then another positive command in, this, in these last four verses. First, we start with our thinking, the positive command. Consider yourself 
dead to sin and alive to God. We start with with our thinking. We consider them. Then we go to the actions that we are to stop. Do not let. Do not present. And then the actions to start. Present yourselves. I would summarize these four verses with these two sentences. When I consider myself now living for Christ, that's the thinking. When I consider myself now living for Christ, I am obeying my new master. When I present myself to live for Christ, that's the doing, I am obeying my new master. One of these is a mental exercise, a matter of the will. The other is an active effort, which is a surrender of that will as well to what we know we should do. He says, consider yourself dead to sin. That's the call. It is a conscious decision that counters what is often a subconscious natural tendency. We are bent to sin almost without thinking about it. But we should consider ourselves living in Christ and totally dead to sin. How does that work? Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul talks about the concept of put off and put on. When we consider being dead to a certain sin in order to truly grow and change, we have to also consider ourselves alive to a new life. There has to be a new practice that replaces that old sin. And it starts with how we think and then continues in what we do. So we are told not only to consider ourselves, but to present ourselves to God. We are to put off and put on in both thought and action. One of my favorite passages of scripture is really Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. If you want to jot that passage down, it's a good bonus study after this. But in that passage, Paul talks about what it takes to put off and put on. Here's what Paul says. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, that's word for the sinful self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which by the way in Romans 6, we're dead to that. Our former manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul then goes on in the last part of Ephesians 4 to list several sins, the thinking that needs to change, and then the new action that needs to result. For instance, he says, put away falsehood and speak the truth. And the reason, the thinking is, because we are members of one another. If you read all the way through verse 32 of Ephesians 4, you're going to notice that pattern. And that change in thinking followed by doing that and living that new life is how we kick the old sin master right in the backside. Now, this leads to a final application to consider, and that is this. I should consider myself dead to sin and alive in Jesus, and I should present myself to Christ as my new master. So remember that uh, criminal teenage uh, crime rampage of mine at the arcade? Well, here's another part of the story that you should know. Uh, For a few weeks after that episode, I felt bad that I could not go back to that arcade. And I wasn't really feeling like a thief. I just felt bad about that episode. I mean, I really felt like if, if I went in there, they would put cuffs on me. So I talked to my co-conspirator about what had happened, 
But he kind of felt like it was no big deal since it was really just a couple bucks worth of free pool and that stuff probably happens to them all the time. Uh, I eventually talked to an adult guy in the church who was mentoring me and he suggested that I do a very hard thing. I go back to the arcade, I tell them that I was sorry, and I make it right by giving them more than what I stole. Uh, he walked me through the kinds of things I just mentioned in Ephesians 4. So the day came where I decided I better do just that. And I'd like to say it was a very noble moment, uh, but it was actually just kind of weird. <laughs> I walked into the place expecting sirens and red lights to flash, and instead the only flashing lights were on space invaders and asteroids. I walked up to the counter, but the owner was not working that day. A college-age dude was there, and I told him, hey, a few weeks ago I was in here, and I used some slugs to play some pool. I feel really bad about that, and well, here's five bucks, okay? The dude looked at me like I had two noses. What am I supposed to do with this? He asked. Um, take it. It's what I owe. I'd like to say that I went on to issue an invitation to church on Sunday and gave the dude a gospel track, but instead I just walked out and went back in the car. And even though it wasn't quite a Hallmark commercial moment, I won't forget that lesson. It was like one of the first real times I realized that sin could control me, but that I could confess, could confess it, turn from it, and do the better thing. So here's the final application. It's also our sermon in the sentence. If you hear one thing this morning, hear this. Grace means I live a new life in Jesus. Grace means I live a new life in Jesus. That new life is shown in how I think, I consider myself dead, and how I live, I present myself to God. For those of you who are believers, isn't Paul's explanation of how to deal with sin helpful? I mean, we don't want to sin, but let's be truthful, it will happen. And thankfully, the gospel isn't just about saving me when I first trust God. It's also about receiving fresh forgiveness as we fight sin daily. Praise the Lord that Jesus is always there for us, that the cross is always available, that grace covers sin, never gives us an excuse to sin. For those of you who may be here this morning and heard me talk about Jesus dying for your sin, and that sounded like a new concept for you, here's what you could do today. If you truly believe that Jesus has taken the penalty for your sin, and you're ready to commit to him as the new master, the new boss. Simply pray something like this. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve punishment for that sin. But I trust in you that you died on the cross in my place. That my sin was buried with you so that I can have new life in you just as you were raised from the dead. Forgive my sin. I give you my life. Help me now live for you. Knowing Jesus as the one who died for you, who took your sin with him on the cross so that he could be your new master is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Jesus loves to give us amazing new life when we're raised with him. When we take Jesus seriously, we will not take sin casually. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, Thank you that when we were unable to save ourselves, when we were weak, when we were powerless, when we were even your enemies, 
you died for us. Lord, I pray, I pray that as we believers admit that we have just these ongoing struggles with sin, help us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in you. Change our thinking. Help us to obey the gospel daily. Thank you that you haven't left us powerless, that sin is a defeated foe, and we have victory and new life in you. In your name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.